What's up? Welcome in to the latest episode of the Irish Huddle Podcast presented by Meatly. Meatly is a fan engagement platform designed to provide fans the opportunity to actually meet their favorite athletes via FaceTime. We'll touch on that more and later in the podcast, but it's Monday, March 14, 2022. I'm Patrick Engel, joined by Tyler Horka. Spring football is in the air. It's three days away as we're recording this from Notre Dame taking the field for the first spring practice session under Marcus Freeman and now with seven new assistants. We're going to dive into both sides of the ball, a little spring preview there, and in between, we'll be joined by former Notre Dame wide receiver Michael Floyd. But let's start with the offense, and let's get right into that, because I think that's where a lot of our listeners' curiosity certainly lies this spring, and where I think we'll be watching too. So we'll just kind of go through a few categories here of kind of things we're looking to see, and let's kind of start with a basic one here. Ty, when you look at the offense... What's the single thing, most important thing, to see that would mean this was a successful spring for Notre Dame's offense? I think we could pull the entire beat and everybody would have the same exact answer. I know you're going to have the same exact answer as I am because we're kind of on the same wavelength. But it's Tyler Buckner kind of positioning himself as QB1 or really anyone for that matter. Maybe it is Drew Pine. I know. A lot of us are thinking it's probably Tyler Buckner's job to lose and he's going to go out in spring practices and try to prove that he is the guy. But either way, Notre Dame has to come out of the spring, even if Marcus Freeman and Tommy Reese are not ready to say, hey, this is our starting quarterback. He's going to be QB one whenever fall camp starts in August, even if they're not ready to say that we've got to be able to watch in these practices and say, "Okay, yeah, that's the guy. And what does that mean on a more specific level? It means. Tyler Buckner looks pretty accurate, you know, on all levels of throws. I I need to see him hit the short passes, you know, dump offs. I need to see him make those good decisions. But when it's time to hit a throw over the middle, try to move the sticks on third and eight, third and nine, I need to see him be able to make a pass, uh, you know, over the middle. Or maybe it is, you know, an out to the boundary, something uh, that's more of the intermediate level. Tyler Buckner needs to make those passes. And again, you, you can kind of fill in the blank with Drew Pine too, whether it's when I say Tyler Buckner, maybe that is Drew Pine. But really what I'm looking for from an offensive perspective is a guy that can make all the throws, a guy that moves the offense. And Notre Dame is searching for a quarterback right now, a quarterback number one. And this spring is kind of the first foray into seeing whether that's Tyler Buckner or Drew Pine. Yeah, this is the the president of the Drew Pine fan club here as a co-host on this podcast, so we'd be remiss if we didn't mention him, right? But I, I think it's also not only just in fairness, but I think everyone wants to see Buckner because of what he did last year. And I think it's at least fair to think he's the favorite because of how things shook out last year with him ending up pretty clearly as the number two and Pine not playing for the last eight games, basically. But... We saw a skilled but still inconsistent freshman quarterback who's not a definite sure thing, and you have an entire offseason to get him there. And that's okay. Like You don't you didn't have to be a, a sure thing on January 1st or as, we, as they take the field on March 17th or even April 23rd in the blue goal game. But to answer the, the question of what's the single biggest thing that's the most important spring is someone, and, and I'll say Buckner just because you think the ceiling is probably the highest with him as all right taking some kind of noticeable progress and at least establishing himself as in position to be 
to, to win the competition, I guess. I don't think you have to name him the starter at any point this spring. But you want to see fewer practices like what, what's the biggest game that we saw him with the biggest sample size was Virginia Tech, right? That was two and a half, three quarters, basically. A lot of good, a lot of things you want to see kind of eliminated, like a misdiagnosis, if I'm remembering one of his interceptions correctly, uh, where, he, where he threw it there. and uh, That was a pick six, I believe. Uh, just kind of sailed throws that you saw there. But on his very first drive, also hit Kevin Austin in stride for 46 yards. You want to see fewer practices that have those kind of vacillations and more that have some level of consistency, or at least you want to be hearing about that. We're only going to get to see a handful of them here. But that, to me, is what constitutes this was a good spring. This can make you feel good about where this offense is going and, by extension, where Notre Dame's going here in, in Marcus Freeman's first year. Yeah, absolutely. I think the word that you kept going back to is consistency. It's something they had with Jack Cohn, and I know Jack Cohn, you know, there was a point there where Drew Pine – I am president of the fan club, and, and that was a good two weeks for me when Drew Pine had to relieve him twice, once for an injury, but the Cincinnati game was for ineffectiveness. But overall, Jack Cohn started all 13 games because he was fairly consistent. You knew what you were going to get. You mentioned the Virginia Tech game with Tyler Buckner. The, the arc of that game was crazy. He comes in, I think Notre Dame scores a touchdown on his first drive. Uh, he might have even ran that in, or was that a Kyron Williams touchdown? I can't remember. But I know he he hit the big pass to Kevin Austin Jr. on the sideline to get them down there. and But then, you know, it kind of went awry. Things kind of went downhill. And, and that's what you can't have with Tyler Buckner if he's going to be your starting quarterback this year. You can't have a guy that goes to Columbus and plays a top-five team at Ohio State in the season opener, and you say, okay, we're going to get some good drives out of him. You know, he's going to score against – an Ohio State defense that was pretty shaky last year. I expect them to be highly improved, but you can't have a guy that goes going into that game where you're like, I think he might throw for a couple touchdowns, but I think he's probably going to throw a couple picks too, and he's going to keep us out of this ball game. So it goes back to consistency. You've got to you've got to have a more polished and poised Tyler Buckner if he is going to be your guy. So I think he's also a pretty clear answer to this next question, but for diversity's sake, and because there are other positions on offense will throw the, aside from Buckner, uh, caveat in here. Breakout player you're, you're watching this spring or a guy you think is going to be in a really good position to break out this spring. Yeah, it kind of goes to more of the, the first question you asked there in that it is spring ball, so you're kind of looking at guys deeper on the depth, the depth chart. At least I am anyway. And I think the running back position is really intriguing, and I'm not going to go with one of those one A, one B guys that we've talked about on multiple podcasts. I'm kind of watching Audric estimate to see if he can make this more of a three-headed monster type of deal in that I think Logan Diggs and Chris Tyree have such diverse skill sets that they're going to get theirs and they're going to get theirs in different ways this season. I'm looking at a guy like Audric estimate who brings a little different physique to the table. He's a bigger guy. I think they could really use him on short yardage situations. He, he looks like the bona fide goal line guy to me and I know Notre Dame has higher aspirations for Audric Estime than just being a, a package short yardage type of guy but you know if that's the case too then maybe he he can make this uh, a more of a 1A 1B 1C thing and especially in, in a time like the spring if there was ever a time for somebody to break out 
Uh, it is, you know, he's going into his second year with the program. Uh, you know, he, he kind of learned his role as a freshman and that role was, you know, stuck behind about three guys on the depth chart. So I'm looking to see if he can, you know, put himself in a position to where he's not getting garbage time reps against Georgia tech. Maybe he's on the field for, I don't know, 10 to 15 snaps against Ohio state. And, you know, Tommy Reese feels comfortable enough to give him three to five carries in that game. I think that would be tangible improvement for Otter Gestame. And that's why I'm watching him now. And I'll be watching him in the fall as well. Yeah. I think with him, it's kind of a, this entire season, but uh, even just this spring is, is this going to be a year where he kind of shows you he's probably more than that, like just big back change of pace guy that you almost kind of see the 228 pounds and just kind of project him into. But I, I don't think at this point he has any reason to, to try to put him in, himself in that kind of box right now, or, or certainly has every reason to try to shoot for something more. So does this spring give you some kind of idea that, he can be more than that, even if maybe that's not necessarily this year, given the, the presence of the other two guys in there. I'm going to go Dion Colsey, and probably maybe the easiest one outside of Buckner simply because of opportunity. Like Notre Dame doesn't really have another boundary receiver. It's still short on receiver numbers. Colsey's going to get every chance to try to go win that spot this spring because they didn't get another receiver in the transfer portal, because Kevin Austin bypassed the graduate season, went to the NFL draft. And this is kind of his chance to say, like, no, Notre Dame doesn't need to go or doesn't have to or feel forced to go find a starting caliber receiver in the portal in May or June. That's not really a place you want to be. And you would think that they initially feel good about the ability to for him to get there just because they didn't take a guy in January. And even going further back, because he got on the field uh, and, and avoided a redshirt as a freshman, even if that season still kind of demonstrated a need for a little bit more refinement, a little bit more strength. So I think a lot of this maybe breakout work will have been done uh, over the past couple months in winter workouts, but still curious to see how he comes out and, and tries to stake his claim on that spot to where you don't have to go get a, a guy who was a starter in their Power 5 program for two years where – all right, your transfer portal targets at receiver can be more like complimentary guys or, or depth pieces and stuff uh, because Colsey took that that need away. I, I think it's a worthy bet uh, to think that he can get there. I, I think you look at him coming out of high school and saw, all right, there's a pretty good ceiling here, but certainly a lot of pressure on a sophomore who made a, or a rising sophomore who made a big jump in competition levels of freshman and still has you know it, it, uh, some work to do to, to get there, even if you think at some point he will. But this might dovetail a little bit into your answer to this next question, but position group on offense with the most to prove. Yeah, I kind of left the stage wide open for you to take Colsey. And if I hadn't, you know, written about him, it seems like three times in a cover three article that we do at blueandgold.com and some other things. I think I've written about him in a Hey Horka uh, message board mailbag column as well. But yeah, definitely dovetailed into my answer for that question. It's the wide receivers, and I think I wrote about them for a cover three article not too long ago as well. And for all those reasons that you just mentioned with the Kevin Austin Jr. dynamic and Deion Colsey trying to replace that production, which uh, we didn't go into the numbers, but I mean, 48 catches, 888 yards, and seven touchdowns, that's a lot to replace, especially for a Notre Dame offense that 
I mean, let's face it, pretty much the entire Brian Kelly era wasn't really predicated on putting up big numbers in the passing game. So uh, you, you've got a quarterback now with Tyler Buckner who's going to need guys to rely on, and uh, Deion Colsey is going to need to be one of those. Lorenzo Styles, a fellow sophomore, is going to have to be uh, super special in the slot to me because uh, we don't know what Avery Davis is going to look like coming back from a torn ACL. Uh, we don't know what Joe Wilkins is going to look like coming back from, a, I think that was a torn MCL. So you've got two of your veteran wide receivers there coming back from very significant knee injuries. Uh, you're replacing the best wide receiver that you had on the roster last year. And like you said, transfer portal help wasn't there uh, for, for whatever reason. And uh, we've talked about all of those reasons before, but Notre Dame didn't go out and get a wide receiver. It's relying on the guys that they have right now. And You've got uh, just going along with kind of this inexperienced theme with the wide receivers. You've got probably your most inexperienced uh, head coach or not head coach. I'm sorry, assistant coach that you brought in and Notre Dame brought in a lot of assistants. Chancey Stuckey's probably the most unique one of those, given that he's only been a uh, position coach for one year. And that was this past season at Baylor. So just so many different dynamics with this wide receiver group. Some of those names that I mentioned are really going to have to step up and, uh, that's definitely, to me, the position group that has the most to prove on offense. Yeah, it's almost kind of hard not to pick that just because of what was lost in terms of production, that small numbers and half the room is uh, rising sophomores, or, or and then when you add Tobias Merriweather win, half the room is going to be underclassmen. But just for, for change of pace, I'll go offensive line, not because – Harry Heastan needs to prove himself as a teacher or anything, but just how far can it come from last year's substandard by program standards performance that resulted in a coaching change? And that'll kind of go into, all right, how can you evaluate the running back progress uh, if the offensive line doesn't take multiple steps here in, in run blocking that we saw lack of consistency there uh, last season when where the floor was well, pretty horridly low, <laughs> we'll call it. But I, I think you want to see a really promising group on paper with two tackles you think are going to be there for two more years at least uh, on the on the bookends. Uh, Andrew Kristofik continues to settle into one of those guard spots. Obviously, this is a little bit harder with Jared Patterson not available, with Josh Lugg still working back from that meniscus that might – uh, ease him into this thing but still you want to see a talented unit on paper takes more steps to be a more consistent and, and high-end unit on film and get to that point this spring so I'll go offensive line just because of how crucial it is given the other holes that Notre Dame is trying to fill at quarterback and given how it had multiple games last year where it had to abandon the run before the game even started. And, of course, given what Buckner can do uh, as as a runner. So I'll go there just because we saw the impact of what inconsistencies at that position can do to the rest of the offense. But final, final thoughts, other positions we didn't touch on, other things on offense you want to address. Yeah, I guess it'll be interesting to see how much of Michael Mayer we see in the spring. There, there's no use in sending what is now the best player on this team, I, I would probably say, offense or defense, given that Kyron Williams and Kyle Hamilton are both in the NFL draft. I think that's the best football player 
this team has. It'll be interesting to see how much, you know, they throw them out there in, in situations in which, you know, these guys are actually hitting each other because you don't want Michael Mayer to go down with something silly in the spring. Um, so, that I mean, that covers tight end. We talked about wide receivers, quarterbacks, uh, the offensive line. I think you made two really good points with the offensive line at the very end there and that that is a very important position group this spring because we don't know who the starting quarterback is going to be at Ohio State. And even if it is Tyler Buckner, he'll be making his first start, whoever it is. If it's Buckner, if it's Pine, that player is going to be making his first start at Ohio State. So all of these reps that uh, the offensive line goes through to protect whoever that quarterback might be this spring, really important. And then uh, you, you mentioned abandoning the running game. Imagine if Notre Dame actually had any semblance of a running game in the first half of the season. Maybe they don't lose to Cincinnati. Maybe they blow some of those other teams out of the water like Toledo or Purdue. And uh, we might be talking about a college football playoff team, too. So. Uh, the offensive line is is definitely very important for that reason. And I think the Notre Dame running game with Harry Heastand and all these guys coming back is going to look incredibly different from game one through game 12 next year. Yeah, you touched on Mayer at the beginning, and that goes right into one player I wanted to highlight is kind of an interesting uh, final piece here. And one, I agree. If they sat Mayer for the spring game like they did last year, sat him for all the tackle practices, just – Ran him out there for drills and pads and shorts, or no pads and shorts. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to complain about that or, or say that's some kind of bad move at all. But that goes into Mitchell Evans, who I think kind of comes into a little bit more of the, the spotlight here with George Takis leaving and creating an opening at the number two tight end, and given that came wrong working back from an October ACL injury. The two freshman tight ends, not uh, early enrollees yet, so they're coming in in June. So, and then... Kevin Bauman, I guess you can throw him in here too, uh, given what we saw from him in fall camp that never got to materialize because of that broken leg. But who's going to do something as and make a move as the, the number two tight end and, and maybe try to get a hold on that uh, position that still is relatively prevalent in Notre Dame's offense? Uh, and does that happen this spring? Evans being, I think, the interesting one because we saw him more last year. Uh, avoiding the red shirt as a number three tight end. And just that kind of he was a mystery in a sense where he's a, a high school quarterback and punter and, and all that stuff, like all these different positions in high school, but recruited entirely during the, the COVID time where no one could see him and the staff couldn't really see him in person uh, until he got there. So intriguing guy who was probably maybe a, a little bit ahead of schedule considering all of that context, but now a pretty good chance for him to, given where he was last year, uh, try to make a move and, and get a handle on that number two tight end spot. That's going to do it for, for offense. Uh, we touched on current Notre Dame receivers a lot. Let's welcome him a former Notre Dame wide receiver, Michael Floyd. We're joined by former Notre Dame wide receiver and former NFL wide receiver, Michael Floyd. Michael, I really appreciate you coming on with us today. Hey, man, excited. Good to be here with you guys. So we'll start with uh, you're one of a handful of current or former Notre Dame players uh, to get involved with Meet Leap. Uh, it's the software that actually allows fans to meet their favorite players over FaceTime for four minutes. How'd you come to, to get involved with that? And what has that been like for you so far? Um, well, the starter of, uh, you know, the whole app Meet Leap, uh, Rob, uh, you know, DM me uh, via Instagram. And uh, I noticed that. Uh, Reggie Brooks is on there and, uh, you know, is a big kind of 
uh, app that, you know, kind of brought Notre Dame fans and former players uh, together to just chit chat about anything um, about football or about just about life. So um, I got interested and um, now I'm enjoying it. We had Reggie on the show last week, actually, and thoroughly enjoyed that talk with him. Yeah. And obviously Reggie talked a lot about, you know, what the Notre Dame brand, bringing that with you means. And once you're a Notre Dame guy, you're a Notre Dame guy for life. Quick Google search uh, showed me that you're kind of in the coaching ranks now. So just tell the listeners um, where you're at, if you're still coaching, how you got into coaching and what it has meant to kind of take what you learned at Notre Dame. And then obviously in the NFL, I've tried to pass it on to guys who are trying to follow in those footsteps and go to places like that as well. Uh, yeah. So I, I tested the coaching thing out um, last season with um, Concordia University of St. Paul, a local school here in St. Paul, Minnesota. Um, how I got into that was the strength coach, uh, the head strength coach there at Concordia was an assistant coach at Notre Dame when I was there um, under uh, the coaching staff of Coach Weiss, uh, Eric Overland. And he was just like, hey, you should give it a try. See how it is. Um, and I'm like, uh, I don't know. You know, you know, I'm still, you know, things are in the air and what I want to do, um, transforming over, you know, away from football. Um, so I give it a try uh, and I enjoy it. I don't know if it's the what I'm going to do for, you know, a long time coming, you know, here in the future. But like you said, talking about, you know, giving back to kids, you know, I think I've been so grateful and blessed uh, to be in the position that I am and without certain people that came across, uh, you know, my life during my time and journey, um, I definitely would not be here today. And I guess, you know, everyone always talks about life after football and it's kind of cliche, but you're kind of living it right now. And you're less than five years removed from having last been on an NFL roster. So what does the ideal life after football look like for you? If it's not coaching, what are maybe some other things that you'd like to get into? Um, I'm, I'm exploring the options right now. I have a lot of doors, you know, that I can open and test out. Um, but for right now, the most thing that's testing me is my two kids. Um, and I have another one due next month. So, um, you know, that's probably the biggest job that I have right now. And I enjoy it. Well, congratulations on the, uh, the <laughs> one there. <laughs> and speaking of, uh, going back to your time at Notre Dame, uh, one of your former teammates, Tommy Reese, of course, in the coaching ranks and, and getting up there pretty quickly as the offensive coordinator. When you played with him and, and when he would have been a freshman quarterback kind of thrown in on the deep end a little bit, and then still kind of uh, learning the ropes a little bit and, and getting the feet wet as a sophomore, what did you notice about him that was, that kind of allowed him to, to handle that moment of it? And then the stuff that you kind of figured might translate to a, a coaching career that he's been able to have. Uh, I like Tommy from the beginning of, um, when I first met him, uh, you know, he's poised and, you know, his worst critic is himself. I mean, it doesn't matter who's yelling at him, uh, which coach is saying whatever, but he's, you know, he's determined to go out there the next play and do better. And I saw a little bit of myself and him knowing that, you know, no one can get me out of my game besides myself. And I'm just going to go out there in the next play and get the job done. Um, I knew from you know, playing with him that, you know, he's got a good shot, you know, at being a good coach. Um, you know, he knows the game. You know, growing up, 
with his dad, um, you know, being in the NFL and being a scout or whatever position he was uh, or still is, I can't remember. But, um, you know, it was just his his calling is, is coaching. And um, I know he enjoys it, and I know the players for sure are lucky to have him. And then another guy that you obviously spent some time with at Notre Dame, a little bit of a sore subject here for Irish fans, given where he's gone. But Brian Kelly, I'm sure, had an immense impact on you as well. What was it like to to learn from him? I know he was really early on in his Notre Dame tenure when you were there. But uh, what can you say about Brian Kelly, the coach? Uh, it seems like LSU was getting a really good one. And at some point, I think Notre Dame fans will probably look back pretty fondly on what happened here over the last 12 years with Kelly at the helm. I mean, breaking the record uh, as the longest coaching at Notre Dame, you know, that's tough to do. Obviously, you got to you gotta be doing very well to be able to stand that long being the coach at Notre Dame. So, you know, uh, his time there, I mean, it, it was great. I mean, I know I learned a lot from him. You know, he's just for sure gets you ready for, you know, um, the next level, as in when it comes to how he coaches the game, every single position. And when I was there, you know, he put me in the best position possible to be successful. And uh, I'm sure that all the accolades that he got at Notre Dame, I'm sure it's going to transition down to LSU and um, they're going to enjoy, you know, his time there. So given that your own Saturdays last fall were, were occupied with uh, coaching your own team, I don't know how much you would have been able to watch, but uh, were you able to see much of it? And, and specifically looking at receivers, uh, some younger guys getting the chance to kind of make an impact there as, as freshmen last fall. Uh, if so, what did you notice from maybe what they might have at that spot kind of going forward? Um, I honestly can't remember any names, but I know I watched um, the combine and um, I know that one of the guys um, from Concordia knows um, number four. I can't remember his name, but he did very well at the combine and just upped his stock for sure. Um, and, you know, I'm, you know, excited to see the up and coming guys and see who can fill that role um, because I know that there's going to be a lot of passing going on and uh, it's going to be exciting to see who can fill the roles and be successful at that position. Yeah. Kevin Austin really impressing at the combine there with that, uh, yeah, 443, 40 it was and, and the 39 inch vertical, I think. And, uh, if I remember correctly, uh, you were at the combine once and, and what, what was that experience like? Cause it's, it, it seems to be this, this thing that fans really put a lot of, a lot of stock into, but, uh, what was that entire kind of thing like for you as someone who I imagine came in there with, uh, first round kind of hopes and, and projections that ultimately you ended up fulfilling? Um, it's, it's for some people, it's kind of nerve wracking. I mean, you, you're up there, you know, you're trying to do your best. Um, you're talking to coaches, talking to GMs, talking to head coaches every single night, depending on who you are. Um, and then, you know, they expect you to go out and perform and, uh, you know, I think I put myself in the best position possible. I think they thought uh, I was going to run a 4-5 or 4-6, but I haven't really ran a 4-5 since maybe I was like ninth or 10th grade. So um, I knew with uh, the training I was doing out in California with my trainer that I would put up some good numbers. 
So obviously you positioned yourself to be a first round pick and, and lived that out. A guy who you played with who didn't really do as much in the combine to position himself to, to be a high draft pick, ended up barely getting drafted, but now he's the greatest you know football player of all time, definitely the greatest quarterback of all time, Tom Brady. You played with Tom Brady for a year in New England. Uh, I know you were injured for most of that year, but started a game with the Patriots and then Patriots go on to win a, a Super Bowl that season. What was it like to be a part of that? What was it like to be able to say you played, uh, especially as a wide receiver with Tom Brady? Yeah, it's good to say I got one touchdown from Tom, so um, I appreciate him. But um, when you talk about just a, a professional and uh, a man of his craft, I mean, I mean, there's a reason why they call him the GOAT. I mean, I just know personally being 40-some years old that the motivation of him just talking makes you want to practice and he brings out the best of everyone you know people always say like he didn't have the best wide receivers you know all the time in his years but he made it work um and that's just the guy who he is um you know on the field and off the field um a great guy and he just brings like i said the best out of everyone and everyone just wants to compete and and win he brings that attitude to to any player in any team that he's with. So I'm actually kind of excited that um, he's coming back for his 23rd season because it just shows just like, it doesn't matter the age, um, you know, how long you've been playing, it matters, you know, if you put the time in, what he does and around the people around him, he makes better. You mentioned him coming back for another year. Who knows? Maybe it's another year beyond that. You never know with this guy. But given all that you know about him and, um, you know, just you're around him from one season, I'm sure that was enough to, to figure out who he is as a person. I'm sure you could say that you're not surprised that he's coming back. And given the way he looked last year, it looks like he's going to, you know, go out and, and do what he's always done. Yeah, I saw a, a couple um, social media posts of people saying, like, you know, he's been two months. He's out, been two months out with his kids, and he's like, no, nah, I don't want to do that. <laughs> so he's going back to playing football. I guess he'd rather do that than be at home all day. So, but I'm sure, you know, after he's done, for sure, he had a lot, he'll have a lot of doors open for himself also to create whatever put, um, profession he wants to do after football. Yeah, that full time dad occupation is, is a different deal. You know that all too well yourself, huh? That's a beast, man. It's a beast. <laughs> so, so to go back to your Notre Dame career for a moment, obviously a, a lot of highlights and, and catches and, and seasons and whatnot as you got to the point where you're the program's all-time leading receiver. Do you have a favorite game or a, a favorite play that, uh, that from, from your Notre Dame career that still kind of sticks with you today? Um, I think when everyone, you know, I've been asked this a lot, and I think, um, you know, I would have to say being at USC for the first time in 10 years, uh, my junior year, I mean, because I remember, you know, playing them my freshman year, and I mean, they had just some ballers on the other side. So, we, you know, it's been 10 years since we beat them, actually. So uh, to go out there at the Coliseum and beat them um, was awesome. One of my favorite experiences being at Notre Dame. Of the guys you played with and uh it, and over your, your four years, how many of them or which other of them uh, you still kind of stay in touch with and, and have kind of followed them as whether they've gone on in the NFL like you did or have gotten into some other things after football? Yeah, I think that's what's great about Notre Dame is that it doesn't matter if you make it, you know, to the NFL level that you create friends uh, for life there. 
and I have two sets of group chats um, with Brian Smith, who's you know a year older, year two older. Um, you know, with Mike Golick, Dane Christ, Kyle Rudolph, um, Deion Walker, uh, Darius Fleming. You know, we all I think we I talk to them every single day. So um, we all stay in um, good communication, and we always make sure that that we um, stay positive with each other, and you know, always you know check in and see how everyone's doing. Well. Ty, unless you've got any, anything else here, I think that's all uh, everything we wanted to ask you, Michael. Once again, really appreciate you, uh, you coming on here. Yeah, no problem. Anytime, bro. Notre Dame fans, you can support Michael Floyd and book him on the Meet Lead app. And when you book Michael, you will get the opportunity to have a one-on-one FaceTime where you can ask him about playing for Notre Dame, his NFL career, the upcoming 22 season, whatever it might be, and a portion of every call will benefit a charity of Floyd's choosing. Search Meet Lead in the iOS store or go to M-E-E-T-L-E-T-E.com. Again, that's M-E-E-T-L-E-T-E.com. Meetly is a fan engagement platform designed to provide fans the opportunity to actually meet via FaceTime their favorite athletes. Everyone lasts for four to five minutes and you can ask special questions. Tell them your favorite memories, get to know your favorite athletes, via Meatly. Again, you can find it in the iOS store or go to M-E-E-T-L-E-T-E.com. What's up, Notre Dame fans? It's Reggie Brooks. I'm here to tell you I'm meeting my biggest fans on Meatly. Let's talk Notre Dame football past and present. A portion of the proceeds will go to the Hostess Heroes Foundation, and one lucky winner will win two tickets to the BYU-Notre Dame game in Las Vegas. So download Meatleet onto your iPhones and meet me at Meatleet. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Well, we really appreciate Michael Floyd coming on with us. And let's wrap this up with kind of going over some things on defense here. Uh, we'll go through the same categories that we did on offense before. But, Ty, when you look at Notre Dame's defense, what's the single most important thing that you're looking to see that would mean to you this was a successful spring for Notre Dame's defense? Yeah, it's kind of broad, but it goes hand in hand. I think Notre Dame needs to figure out who their best front seven guys are and where those guys slot in. Notre Dame has a ton of returning uh, production and talent uh, across those positions. When you look at Isaiah Foskey, uh, Jason Adam Alola, two returning defensive linemen, obviously, but then you've got a tackle position that's kind of up for grabs after Kurt Heinis left. And you don't really know if it's going to be Jacob Lacey or Howard Cross. You would like one of those guys to step up. And then 
uh, with Myron Tagovailoa-Mosa going to the NFL draft, you've got a strong side defensive end position that you need to fill too. So does Justin Adamalola go over there? Do they move a guy like Riley Mills to strong side defensive end? Uh, you know, friend of the podcast, Nana Osafo Mensa, does he become a starter in his senior season? So that's just the defensive line too. And then I mentioned the front seven, you go to linebacker and you got, you got guys like Jack Kaiser coming back and, and Bo Bauer and leading tackler J.D. Bertrand. But as it stands right now, I'm not even sure J.D. Bertrand has his starting job back at Will Linebacker with the return of Maris Leofau from uh, an injury that held him out of the entire season last year. We saw him in Fiesta Bowl uh, practices in Arizona, Patrick, and he looked pretty good. He looked uh, very physically imposing and I think he's one of Notre Dame's best athletes at the linebacker position across all three of them. So you've got to have a guy like that on the field. So if he does slot in as the starting will linebacker, where does that leave a guy like Bertrand? Is, is he backing up Bo Bauer at middle linebacker? Are those guys splitting you know, reps almost like co-starters at middle linebacker, replacing Drew White, who obviously departed the program as well? So I just think there's so many uh, questions across the front seven, both on defensive line and linebacker. And that's not even mentioning guys, uh, you know, the freshman class that has come in and guys like Nolan Ziegler and uh, Jalen Sneed and Joshua Burnham. Can those guys, you know, are, are they the athletes that Notre Dame's looking for in the future at the linebacker position? And they can, can they push this current crop of uh, experienced guys that, that have returned? So I think there's a lot of questions. I think, uh, you know, all of the defensive coaches, you know, Al Washington and um, you know, obviously Al Golden coming in, they need to figure out who their best seven are across those positions and, and try to get at least, you know, somewhat of a semblance of a depth chart going into the summer. Yeah, I think this is a kind of good problem to, to have situation because the the questions are a lot more of like, how do you make the pieces fit rather than do you have enough just volume of good pieces here I think at linebacker that's pretty clear that, that they do especially if Lee Fow is anything close to what we saw from him in, in fall camp pre-injury and then defensive line I think you feel pretty good about being able to go too deep there too but I don't think you have any wrong answers as far as what do you, you do with that strong side defensive end position uh, if you think Riley Mills needs starters reps and that's a completely justifiable opinion I don't think anybody would tell you you're wrong on then Defensive end's going to be the natural place to give him that. Nana Osafa Mensa, if you think he's ready for that, then it's an easy elevation right there. Justin Adam Alola. Fun fact. Do you know he finished second in that team in sacks? You wouldn't think so, right? I mean, or just, yeah. maybe you wouldn't think so just because he wasn't a starter. But he did. And uh, top 10 in tackles, I believe. But this, like, his production in 448 snaps was starting level stuff in terms of like tackles per snap, pressures per snap, sacks uh, per snap, where if you decide, I want another 150 snaps of that, then all right, well, you have to put them over at a starter's role because you can only take Isaiah Foskey off the field so many times. And Adam Alola has played strong side defensive end before. So that's kind of the quintessential of how do these pieces fit? Because you think somewhere around there, the – like a, a good answer is there is just deciding which one you, you do. It's, it's wouldn't, wouldn't that have been nice if you had a multiple choice question on a test where three out of the four answers were right instead of one out of the four? It feels a little bit like uh, what they're going with here. But uh, for my pick, I'm going to go with Brandon Joseph here. And, and that's, you want to see that 
he's showing you all America flashes that he did when he was at Northwestern that maybe waned a little bit in 2021, but you saw a lot of what the plays he was able to make on the ball in 2020. Of course, we all think of that interception of Justin Fields uh, in the Big Ten uh, title game in 2020. But I think that's important just because, and we're going to touch on this, I think a lot in a few minutes, of what the rest of that defensive back room looks like and how much Kyle Hamilton meant to hit and how how much an All-American level player meant to it. So you think, in theory... You, you brought, you're going to replace one with another, but to see that, okay, maybe we have all these questions. If you're sitting here as Mike Mickens and Chris O'Leary and Al Golden and Marcus Freeman, maybe we've got all these questions about depth and who's starting in a couple of these spots, but to know coming out of spring, knowing that they have a impact all America level type guy that looks a lot like what they would have seen on film in 2020 that would be a really good outcome to just make you feel a lot better about the position that uh, I think maybe is the, the most uneasy right now for Notre Dame on defense as it enters spring. Yeah, it feels like the perception of Brandon Joseph coming in, uh, that was a, a crazy week. I feel like Notre Dame fans celebrated it widely, and they should. This is a, a former All-American, but it kind of seems like everyone is – penning it in, not even penciling, but, you know, Sharpie that this is a surefire thing. And look, I know Brandon Joseph is incredibly talented, but this is still a a transition that he has to make. And we don't know what he's going to look like trying to guard some of those Ohio State wide receivers and, you know, pick off passes or at least defend them coming out of the hand of CJ Stroud. So um, I think that is a very good pick there just because look Kyle Hamilton is Kyle Hamilton and he's a you know top five prospect in this NFL draft for a reason and uh, you mentioned it you know we Notre Dame is saying we let one All-American go we you know filled that spot with another but this is something that Brandon Joseph still has to prove and say hey yeah I am that guy I'm going to be that guy and the secondary is going to be better because of me or I'm not I'm not saying the secondary is going to be better than it was with Kyle Hamilton with Brandon Joseph, but it's going to be better than it was when Kyle Hamilton went down with that injury and Notre Dame had to replace a talent like that for five or six games. So incredible pick there for sure, because that was kind of the storyline of the off season there for like a month. And now we finally get to see what it looks like on the field. Yeah. If this 2022 secondary is better than 2021s, I don't think it's going to be because Brandon Joseph was Kyle Hamilton level impact or because heaven forbid someone started a Kyle Hamilton was overrated type of idea. But if it's the case, it's going to be better because of what happens at the other positions. And on top of that, having an all American level player uh, somewhere in, in that secondary, but that goes into, I think what I know what my answer to this is, but uh, I'll kick it to you first breakout player that you're, you're kind of paying attention to is a guy who, could, could emerge here with a good spring. Yeah, I guess I'm going to be switching up the gears here and we're, we're kind of tossing it all over the place, but we'll, we'll get back to uh, the secondary. But right now, we talked about him earlier. I think it's a guy like Riley Mills because any position that you put him in, whether you keep him as a defensive tackle or you put him out on the outside as a strong side defensive end, I think he's going to make plays. And This is a guy that going into that Virginia game, I can't imagine that he got – too many reps throughout practices to that point at defensive end, but uh, MTA goes down. I I think he was sick for that game, right? It was just an illness that kept him off the field. That's right. And 
Notre Dame's like, okay, yeah, we're, we're turning to to Riley Mills at defensive end. I think he gets two sacks in that game, and he just looked unblockable off the edge. And I know uh, Virginia's offensive line, uh, Virginia's not really an offensive line powerhouse, and they get the ball out quickly and all those things. But Riley Mills looked great coming off the edge. So if Notre Dame decides, yeah, Riley Mills needs to fill that hole left by MTA, I think he's going to work wonders for Notre Dame at that position. And if they keep him on the inside, the, the only thing about leaving him at defensive tackle is I think, you know, he kind of projects as more of a Jason Adam Alola type, a little more athletic can do a little more things than Kurt Heinisch did at nose guard. So it's interesting to see, uh, if they would put two guys that to me can do a lot of the same things on the field together right next to each other in the middle of the of the defensive line. If they do that, man, this will be a really fun unit to watch, but long story short, wherever Riley Mills plays, I think he's going to be really good. And I, and I think this is the quintessential breakout year for him. He's been in the program a couple of years now. He got a little taste of what he can do last year in, in some of those, uh, you know, increased reps this could be the year that, um, you know, with some guys leaving, he steps into one of those roles and, and really breaks out. Yeah, four tackles, two sacks, five pressures, season-high 25 snaps in that Virginia game. And I'd have to go back and find my scribbles from my notepad that day, but I feel like he got cheated out of a tackle for loss. or a, he, One of those was like a tackle for no gain that I thought was a loss. But, yeah, I, I agree. And if you made me guess what's most likely to happen, I think it's, it's going to be that. And really, I think is good a – breakout pick anywhere uh, on either side of the ball. Uh, Riley Mills, you've, you've seen pretty disruptive flashes of his pass rushing skills from the interior that you think would be able to to translate out there at defensive end and a little bit longer, uh, taller guy out there than MTA was. But I'm going to go back to the secondary and I'm going to go a little unconventional here and pick a freshman, early and early freshman, and that's Jaden Mickey mainly because you know Notre Dame needs somebody behind the three corners it had last year to emerge. Like that three-man rotation it had there really the entire season is untenable, maybe is a little too strong, but it certainly felt that way in the Fiesta Bowl when they don't have anybody to throw in there when you're playing 95 plays on defense. And you have a lot of guys in, in camp right now. Uh, or spring camp. It's going to be five in spring camp and six when you get to the fall who are going to be freshmen or sophomores. And you need somebody to do it. None of them particularly proven because they're either freshmen or they took a redshirt last year. Mickey, this is a lot of uh, going off of his high school film where plays a lot bigger than this size, plays a lot more physical than this size, can stick either I think in the field or the slot. I think he runs pretty well for to be able to stick at both of those spots. Uh, so just the ability to play either one of those, I think, helps you. But uh, also really pretty impressed with him when we got to speak to him in uh, January when they made all the early enrollees available. Had a pretty confident way about him that he kind of knows, like, yeah, I, I've got an opportunity here that uh, you know, I'm aware of and, and think I can take advantage of. So Jaden Mickey, but I think a lot of the, the younger corners are intriguing. Uh, they were in – Notre Dame was in that position last year where it couldn't have – more than three corners because the recruiting misses kind of piled up from 18, 2019, 20 even. But now I think there's some more intriguing skill sets in here that Mike Mike Mickens was able to bring in uh, the last couple of years. Uh, Chance Tucker, another one where you think of, all right, what's 
another thing the secondary really needs to do overall is make more plays on the ball. I like his ball skills. So we'll see if maybe that's a, an option there at, at boundary corner or on the field. But I'm going to go a little out, outside the box here and pick uh, Jaden Mickey to see if uh, he's a guy you leave spring thinking about, okay, potentially in a really good spot to avoid a red shirt and, and crack that rotation because you know somebody has to. So this might really dovetail into uh, your answer to the next one we'll hear or go to here. Position group with the most approved. Yeah, for me, it's the secondary. And for a lot of those reasons that you just uh, outlined, but I mean, I think there's some doubters on Clarence Lewis based on what we watched in the Fiesta Bowl. You mentioned it, though. I mean, 95 plays, however many it was, that's a lot for anybody to to be on the field for, especially when uh, Oklahoma State was passing the ball as much as they were to try to get back into that game late in the, the first half. And then all of the, the second half, it, it just felt like, both teams turned into a Mike Leach air raid offense. And I thought I had gotten out of covering that uh, when I left the Mississippi state beat, but there I was just watching two teams, throw the ball, throw the ball, throw the ball. I, I think that was just a case of Clarence Lewis being in a bad position for that game. And, you know, yeah, he got taken advantage of a little bit there by Oklahoma state's wide receivers, but uh, you know, all of the games that Notre Dame plays in 2022 aren't going to go that way. But I have mentioned this game multiple times today, and it is the season opener. And Notre Dame is going up against a team that probably in the last five years in college football, when you think of high-powered passing offenses, you probably think of Ohio State's. Um, I, I don't know. I think that's the first team that I think of when I think this team can really throw it on you. Uh, look at all the quarterbacks that they've produced. Uh, Patrick Engel's own um Justin Fields obviously and I think a lot of uh Notre Dame fans are Chicago Bears fans so they know all about Justin Fields but getting back to the Notre Dame secondary Clarence Lewis has to be better and if he's not he might get replaced by a guy like Jaden Minky you mentioned you mentioned Chance Tucker uh Justin Walters some some of these other guys that Notre Dame has who last year were obviously not in a position to take reps from Clarence Lewis because Clarence Lewis had all that starting experience Maybe, you know, flash forward a year like we have here, maybe it's time for one of those guys to get looks. So, um, and that's only speaking of the the corners. And I, I say the entire secondary because, you know, we'll go back to the Brandon Joseph thing. Notre Dame did lose a guy like Kyle Hamilton. And I know um, other safeties coming back, DJ Brown, Houston Griffith. To me, those guys are who they are. And I don't think they're going to take huge steps as fifth-year players. So does a guy like Ramon Henderson get, uh, a chance to start at safety, even with those guys healthy and on the roster. What does Xavier Watts look like in his first full year as a safety? So a lot of question marks uh, for the Notre Dame secondary. And I think just based on who that season opener is against, the spring really has to answer some of those questions. So you can feel comfortable going into the fall knowing, all right, these are the guys that we've got. We're not going to go out there in the horseshoe in Columbus and get lit up. We're, we're, we're going to come to play and, you know, we can guard these guys. I think Notre Dame needs to get to a point of feeling that way by mid-August. Yeah, I, I would agree. And mainly because you could have a secondary that's significantly better than 2021s or gets to that point by the end of the year, but not really know it just because of how hard an assignment that week one game is. But you can you have a lot easier time looking past whatever trouble might come in the horseshoe just because that's what Ohio State does to teams. If you see some good things and some strides in over the next five weeks, and then uh, those extend in, in fall camp there. But 
Yeah, it's safety. Uh, I, I think that's good that you touched on those guys too. Like, I think we saw some playmaking flashes from Xavier Watson and Ramon Henderson once they kind of moved over there in season, but that you think, all right, maybe these guys are potential future starter candidates, but it, it is, or is this kind of the spring where, all right, we actually go make a move and try to be that guy next to Brandon Joseph, or it's, all right, still flashy play guy, but still trying to learn the position is maybe not quite ready to, to step into a, a clear-cut starter's role there. And then really everyone in the secondary does kind of have something to prove, whether it's trying to merge from the, the kind of the glut of these underclassmen corners, uh, prove that in the fifth-year seniors' case there is another step you can take. Uh, in Henderson and Watts' case, that they can go give you starting caliber play right now. And and even in, in Cam Hart's, like I, I, I think it's important to touch on him considering all the, the good things he was able to do last year and kind of cement himself in that boundary corner spot. But is there another step for him there as far as making more plays on the ball and getting up over 10 passes defended, which no Notre Dame – uh, defensive back has done since Kyle Hamilton did it as a freshman in, in 2019. So all over the, the place, kind of things to prove, whether it's prove you can bounce back, prove you can take another step, or just prove like, all right, I can be a reliable piece this year and, and after uh, kind of a year behind the scenes in developing. So yeah, almost kind of hard not to pick the secondary for, for that one, just like it's hard not to pick the most important or even breakout player on offense uh, and pick Tyler Buckner. But we spent a lot of time touching on that. Any other final thoughts on anything from the defense or other positions that we didn't cover or guys we didn't mention? Yeah, I think I mentioned Justin Walters when I was talking about the corners. I meant Ryan Barnes. Those guys, I don't know why I get confused, but they're kind of what's, – what's interesting about that, and maybe it is why I get confused, they're kind of in the same position uh, at the respective positions, cornerback and safety, in that they're up-and-comers, I think, uh, in terms of measurables, you really like what both of them provide at their respective positions. Ryan Barnes looks the part of a guy who could be a lockdown corner. So that's who I meant to say when I was talking about corners. But just in terms of other final thoughts, um, you know, we didn't really talk about Al Golden much. And I think it's really important that Notre Dame has a new defensive coordinator this season. And I know we've talked that this probably still Marcus Freeman's defense. And just because he's the head coach doesn't mean he's going to lose his grasp on what Notre Dame is trying to do defensively. But Al Golden has a ton of experience at the college level, but it's been a, a little bit since he coached it, you know, in these ranks. So be interesting to see. Uh, and he talked about it uh, a couple months ago and that how much the game has changed since he last coached at Miami. So I'm just interested to see what he looks like as a college coach, especially as a defensive coordinator, because I mean, we're, we're probably talking two decades since he was a coordinator, right? He was the head coach at Temple in Miami before going off to the NFL for six years. So um, interested to see how Al Golden works with Marcus Freeman and interested to see how much maybe this defense has changed schematically from Marcus Freeman's one year as the D.C. to transitioning now to head coach and, and kind of giving at least a little bit of the reins over to Golden. Yeah, I think it'll be hard in a sense just because you're not going to get a whole lot of schematic stuff that we'll see, but you kind of have to go on anecdotal evidence and things that if you take them at their word that they tell us when we get to talk to them or things you pick up behind the scenes or whatnot of, all right, there's just to hear that there's clear cohesion and guys are picking it up and there's not confusion or anything like that, because this is the third defensive coordinator in three years. And we've heard Freeman talk all the time of this has to be a smooth process. Even if you let golden tweak some things. And even if you take Freeman at his word of this is golden's defense, even though he's not just foisting a playbook on, on them. So just to kind of hear that, all right, 
this has gone well and this transition has gone well or that there was an absence of any kind of bumps in three coordinators in three years. Yeah, I think that's important. Uh, important development that we just kind of have to uh, rely on kind of secondhand evidence there because we won't really be able to see that for ourselves until the fall, but an important thing nonetheless. But that's going to do it for this episode of the Irish Huddle. The next time we talk to you guys, we will have seen Notre Dame in action, have talked to Marcus Freeman, have talked to Tommy Reese, have talked to the quarterbacks. We will talk to you again later this month. Until then, take care. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.